A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present. Just so you know. Hey there, my name is Robert Boyd, and I'm the host of CXMH, a podcast for the intersection of faith and mental health. Each week, I explore a different topic, and because I know there are people way smarter than me, I invite them along too. Join me each week to hear from people like Kay Warren, Stephen Mansfield, William Paul Young, Science Mike, Hannah Brencher, Ed Bacon, Amy Simpson, John Pavlovitz, Zach Hogue, Scott Sauls, Jason Chestnut, Caitlin Coates, Mark Allen Shells, Brittany Moses, Sarah Fader, Jason Michelle, Nate Pyle, Gabe Howard, and more, as well as counselors, social workers, psychologists, and other mental health professionals. We talk about ministry, theology, mental health, and anything else we think is beneficial. Check us out on iTunes, Google Play, or online at cxmapodcast.com. Hey there, you're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about regular, everyday people living revolutionary lives. My name is Kevin Garcia, and welcome to episode 50, my friends. We did it! We made it to episode 50. Now, just 50 more to go, and we'll make it to episode 100, which is going to be dope. I can't wait to get there. (laughs) So anyways, hey, welcome to episode 50. I am glad you're here. Thank you so much for joining me once again for another revolutionary conversation. I hope you're doing well. I hope your uh, march is going dope. Um, it's been a really interesting month for me, um, for a number of reasons. Um, a lot of personal changes, uh, with my father passing and some stuff happening in my personal life. So thanks to everyone who has been kind and reaching out and, uh, sending me love and encouraging me to do like some self-care, you know, which is really dope. Um, cool projects I'm working on right now. I recently started my journey with medication to help handle my depression a little bit better. So... I'm documenting all that and I'm putting it on YouTube. So if you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel, if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, go ahead and do that for me because it helps with uh, the reach, just like subscribing to a podcast and rating it also helps with the reach. So go subscribe on YouTube. It's just youtube.com slash hello, I'm Kev in. So like H-E-L-L-O-I-M-K-E-V-N. So leave out the I in my name. Anyways, go subscribe over there and look out for that little mini documentary that I'm putting out. I'm very excited about sharing that part of my journey with you. So today on the podcast, I have someone who I've had an internet crush on for forever joining me to talk about a number of things. Um, Mostly we're talking about being queer on an evangelical campus. No, it's not Nathaniel Totten, um, although he is wonderful. But uh, my other internet crush, Caitlin J. Stout. Caitlin J. Stout is an unapologetically gay Christian, doing her best to navigate faith, academia, and activism while attending an evangelical university. She's passionate about LGBT equality in the Christian higher education and has worked as an organizer and advocate for the closeted students on her non-affirming campus. She's also a writer blogging about the intersections of faith, sexuality, with the goal of helping queer folks recognize their status as beloved children of God. Caitlin's professional interests include sociological theory, sexual ethics, identity formation, and suicide prevention among LGBT youth. Her personal interests include coffee, glitter, haircuts, and breakfast food, which same girl, same. She is currently serving at an Episcopal church and is in the process of enrolling in a Master's of Divinity program, and she's going to come to Atlanta. She just doesn't know it yet. Um, sorry, I got, I'm very passionate. I'm very pro-Caitlin in Atlanta because, obviously, I love my city. Um, anyways, she also believes that Reformation is possible and hopes to play a small role in teaching the church to love and celebrate its queerness. So... If you haven't already, grab yourself a coffee, something to drink, um, grab a friend, send this to them later, and hang out with me and my friend, Caitlin J. Stout. So, you are Caitlin J. Stout. Um, The J stands for, is that a mystery? It's my it's my only secret. <laughs> wow. I feel like I Ladies have and... one thing that I don't tell the internet, and so I'm just a <laughs> keeping the J the keeping J is a, a secret. <laughs> well, I'm gonna just try and figure it out during the cohort. I'm gonna all right. <laughs> we'll go my way in there. Anyways, hi, welcome to this conversation. So, for people who don't know who you are, what you're about, could you give them like a little snapshot of? Caitlin J. Stout, what you've been doing for the past couple of years and what you're doing presently slash sure. what's coming on the horizon. Yeah. So you said my name is Caitlin Stout. Um, I am a recent graduate, almost kind of. I recently finished up my coursework um, 
my undergraduate work at Spring Arbor University, uh, studying sociology and urban studies, which was a good time. Um, yeah, I just finished up there and am currently in between schools, getting ready to start grad school uh, somewhere. <laughs> Have a few offers on the table um, and will be pursuing my MDiv over the next few years, which I'm super excited about. Um, and it's also a major plot twist in my life. I uh, would not have anticipated a call to ministry. <laughs> um, same, girl, joke, same. Yeah, yeah, you get it. I always yeah. joke that uh, realizing that I was called to ministry was probably just as terrifying as realizing I was gay. <laughs> Yo, if not more terrifying. <laughs> yeah, you get it. <laughs> yes. Um, and I was like realizing those two things about the same time, uh, which made made life extra confusing for a while. But, yeah. But we're making it. Um. Yeah, so this past year has been a wild ride of kind of being, uh, I came out um, to all my friends and family just just over a year ago, over like Christmas break, um, and then came out online and started blogging and tweeting about faith and sexuality uh, last summer. Um, and it's just been this process of kind of being thrown into a lot of advocacy work and activism on my campus, which is a very much non-affirming <laughs> conservative evangelical university, um, and we've had a lot of uh, a lot of incidents that have kind of brought um, this underlying homophobia and queerphobia kind of to the surface, and mm-hmm. has uh, made people pay attention on campus to a lot of the injustice that's been going on for years. Um, being one of the only few out students on campus, uh, the few of us who are out and willing to have these conversations have kind of been thrown into this position of serving as a bridge between closeted students and administration and kind of trying to be a voice and make some slow and much needed progress. Uh, so that's kind of my life right now. I'm in this position where I'm no longer a student, um, but I'm still living in the area until I move for grad school. So I'm in this cool place where I, (laughs) They kind of can't do anything to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. uh, so it's been a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of uh, meeting with administrators, meeting with students, trying to, uh, yeah, trying to make voices heard and make things better as much as I can before I head out and go on to the next stage of life. Mm. <laughs> the thing that has just been so incredible for me to watch over, I guess, the course of this past semester for you um and just like even like so like your fall semester yes um but like in in the past few months um it feels like the the backlash from you know you know you you and your posse like pushing for some modicum of equity and and uh just civility really um has been met with like a very hostile response from administration and from folks in places of power and um kind of just like the student body who would probably fall into the more conservative camp of things um like this is something i i I don't know if you relate to this but just like not having any private moments since i've come out because Mm -hmm. i i too i came out on the internet and i started talking about my experiences and it's uh this is something my therapist told me it's just like you don't have anything private going on like um how uh how are you feeling with um being out and open and all that stuff but then also like being shoved not shoved but like you know kind of this is like the mantle you have to bear because you're in this place at this time with this capability what's it like being uh kind of just like uh an accidental activist if you will yeah no that's a that's a very good question um yeah it's really interesting because before yeah, before all of the online writing and um, and the attention in that regards, I was, this was about the time I was realizing a call to ministry, right? Because I was right. out to the people around me and to my loved ones. And so I, and I was out enough on my campus that I had people coming out to me, mm-hmm. um, which is beautiful and I love it. And uh, so for a while, I was very much just in this position where my, oh, whoops. Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> for a while, um, for a while, I was just in this position where I was um, 
doing one-on-one relational ministry and ministry looked like getting coffee with people who were, you know, scared and uh, were just figuring things out and, you know, needed someone to uh, to talk to. And it was beautiful and I loved it. And I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And as things became more public, those coffee dates went from people coming out to me to people, (laughs) to more people reading my stuff and, uh, wanting to get coffee because they're just not too sure about this whole gay thing and they just want to hear my side of it, hear my story. They're just and, like, uh, I just really want to yeah. be dedicated to hearing more stories. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> exactly. Oh my god. Um, not that so, those are like, not that those are like always disingenuous. Right. But like yeah, my my fear with people just like wanting to like consume queer stories is that at the end of the day they're not going to do anything with it and they're just yeah. like, oh my god, I did my job. I listened to the, my gay friend. It's like I'm like fine. Right. Even though like I think homosexuality is wrong. Like, I like my gay friend, though. Right, exactly. And so it was this learning curve of being, of, like, figuring out which of those coffee dates to say yes to and which mm-hmm. ones to hold back on, you know. Um, and because, like you said, not all of those are disingenuous, and a lot, I think those conversations can be fruitful. But um, I don't know. It's been, this past year has definitely been a time of trying to clarify for myself my own like mission statement in a way like you know Mm -hmm. am I here because I want to minister to other queer folks am I here because I want to be a bridge between queer folks and straight people who aren't sure am I here um to try and change policy uh on campus and the answer to all those is still like I don't totally know (laughs) um and it's definitely been a time of trying I don't know kind of trying on different hats and seeing uh, where I'm most effective, um, and it's been a it's been a challenge, but it's been a time of a lot of growth and a lot of um, learning how to say no, uh, mm-hmm. and I don't know, just kind of using my gifts where they fit best, and also learning how to um, see gifts in other people and kind of empower them to take on roles that I am not best fit for. Yeah, and also because, like, you're leaving. And if someone's yeah. going to continue the work, like, people have to have the language. And it's so interesting. Like, you know, like, I feel like so many of us, is, like especially, like, in, in Christian community, like, we kind of, like, fall into this role of accidental activists because uh, no one else is going to do it. Right, yeah. And then, you know, we get we get end up getting vilified sometimes. We end up being, like... Uh, the person that like the administration or the leaders of a church uh, have to pay attention to, but don't want to pay attention to. Yeah. <laughs> um, and because like, you know, <laughs> yeah, because just like, you know, if, if they don't pay attention to us, we'll like, we'll get everybody to pay attention to them. Right. <laughs> and not in exactly. the way they're wanting to. Um, exactly. What can I ask about um, your, like with like looking at how the administration at your university has responded. Um I don't even know where to start with that. It's like general feels about just like how the administration is like doing or not doing a job with like addressing the needs of queer students. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess I should give some background information about everything that's going on. Sure. Spring Arbor. Um, so this whole, uh, I mean, Spring Arbor has been a mess for queer students for forever right Right. (laughs) it's never been a safe place to be queer and there are plenty of horror stories going back from before I was a student here uh but this past year it's all kind of come to light um and that kind of started in the fall semester in November I believe when we basically there was a very homophobic chapel speaker um and a few of us were just fed up with having to sit through that and having to hear it and uh, so, um, not at all with the purpose to protest, but with the goal of just being together, a few people went and sat on the library steps, and we, like, had our rainbow flags out there, and we were uh, just basically there to be visible so that anyone who needed to come and talk and mourn and just be sad or frustrated and angry could come and sit with us and see us there. And mm-hmm. basically what happened, this woman, a community member, she wasn't a student or faculty, but this woman came out from the library and basically started screaming at us, saying all these awful homophobic graphic things what? and just berating us for like 10 minutes. And it was, ooh, it was rough, and <laughs> which was bad enough on its own. But then 
the controversy kind of happened because we had an administrator approach our group and before um before asking this woman to leave turned to us and told us that we were causing the scene and that we needed to disperse are you fucking <laughs> and, uh, kidding me yeah so that was that was the drama there <laughs> um oh that's disgusting and we were basically told that we uh our gathering there was against school rules that we needed to have a permit we couldn't have rainbow flags anything like that and um i bet you if you had an american yeah. flag it wouldn't have been a problem Oh, yeah. I, there was someone last year with a Trump flag in their window. I'm just saying. <laughs> Double but, uh, fucking standards. Yeah. God. So that was that was a time. Oh, um, my God. And basically that incident led to me and a few other students who were involved basically spending the rest of the semester meeting with administrators, um, trying to explain to them what was wrong on campus, what needed to change, trying to explain that, like, this is not an isolated event. This is an example of the environment we're living in every day. Um, but so much of this has been made more complicated by what we refer to as the advocacy clause, which is this line in Spring Arbor's handbook that is uh, basically after all the rules against premarital sex, homosexual activity, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the lifestyle. Yeah, the lifestyle. <laughs> There's one line in the handbook that says, this includes the uh, defense promotion or justification of any of the aforementioned activities. So what that means is it is against the rules for you to advocate for LGBT rights and equality. Um, so like you can't even say like who I am is okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the way I word it uh, when I explain this to people is basically at Spring Arbor, you are allowed to be gay as long as you hate yourself for it. Um, word. Yeah. I mean, like, that's... Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm there and, for that. Uh, sounds sounds about right. So, like, I, this past semester, or the last semester I was on campus, I was told I had to take the rainbow flag down from my wall in my own room. I couldn't have that because it was against school policy. It's... Yeah, it's against the rules to... For those of you on the end of yeah. podcast land who can't see this, my jaw is like <laughs> on the floor, <laughs> detached from my head and rolling across the floor right now. That's where we are today. Yeah, it's a time. Um, and so, obviously, it seems obvious to me, a simple step forward is removing that one sentence in order to make it possible to even have a conversation about, you know, LGBT issues in theology. So yeah, that's because been our, like... Yeah. Because I, th I think so many like administrators or leaders across, whether it's churches, universities, community groups, or just communities in general, people um, want to quote unquote have conversations. But with something like that, that says like, you can't advocate for yourself. Right. Yeah. You can't be yourself. You can't like yourself. It seems really, that's not a conversation that is being dictated to. Yeah. And that's yeah, not exactly. even like that's not even in like the the spirit of like Christian disagreement, right? And yeah. I that's so troubling. Yeah, for sure. And so the push that uh, students have kind of been focusing on for these past few months has been the removal of just that one sentence in the handbook, which does not require anyone to change their theology. It's not even asking for uh, it's not even asking for you know same sex dating to be permitted or anything like it's literally just asking for conversation to be allowed and for people to be allowed to advocate for themselves defend themselves for professors to be allowed to be openly affirming without risking their jobs um and just to make it possible for us to have a visible support system without being afraid of being expelled basically <laughs> um yeah. so that's been that's been the push and it's been it's in some ways it has been a helpful experience and in some ways it has been deeply troubling because I don't know a cool thing about it we've seen a lot of straight people and especially students um who have you know just never had to think about this they've never noticed this handbook it is this line in the handbook mm -hmm. and it's been cool to see people suddenly paying attention and being like wait what holy shit <laughs> like, yeah, that's not cool um, do you have much yeah. of like a and group of I, allies, on, like a strong group of allies on campus or not really? Um, we have some online networks that we've been building up. It's, it, that's the thing about Spring Arbor that I, that is, it's so frustrating and hard for me to reconcile is it's full of so many good people, so many solid allies, but as an institution and because of things like the advocacy, advocacy clause, like no one's even sure if they're allowed to 
organize or be vocally supportive. Um, and so there are plenty of people at Spring Arbor who are uh, on our side, but um, they're all, they're scared to be on our side, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, for fair reasons. Um, That's hard. But it has been it's been very cool to see allies kind of come out of the woodwork and realize the extent of um, the troubling the troubling environment at Spring Arbor. Um, in other ways, it has been very frustrating because the pattern we've seen is, uh, you know, in these meetings with administrators, um, I don't know, we're told one thing and then the email that goes out to the student body tells us another thing. And then the email that goes out to the donors and the alumni says a totally different thing. And it's, it's very much, uh, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like I've been, uh, being gaslighted for the past three and a half years <laughs> uh, as far as, um, yeah, as far as, uh, how Spring Arbor is treating queer students and mm-hmm. how we're supposed to react to it. But God, yeah. <laughs> I want to come and like burn the whole place down. That's yeah. Of course that's just like my, uh, my temperament we, towards so many different things. That's fair. We usually just leave glitter places. <laughs> I mean, that's just what happens when you're gay, though, right? right. It's just like, it's you just like, you touch something, it's like, Oops, sorry, I'll just look at <laughs> yeah. Too real. Too real. I'm sorry that, like, <sighs> that you have had to, like, walk through all of this and your fellow students have simply, you know, you've, like, you can't, like, I can't, I went to a liberal arts university. Like, you know, I wish I would have been out when I was in college so that I could have experienced like more of like, like gotten in touch with more of my queer identity sooner in my life mm-hmm. because I can't, like it was, it's one thing to be, you know, gay in the South and gay at like, uh, like you know, a, a non-Christian university. Um, it is a totally different thing to be in a place that actively suppresses your identity. And yeah. like what, what I don't understand, and I'm sure that you've, you've, said and shared with this with the administration that like you are making your students afraid like why should why would you want your students to be afraid to be at your university yeah like it's it it boggles my mind that like you're not like if you're not working in the best interest of your students what are you doing right no i know what you're doing what you're actually doing is you're protecting your power your privilege your money that's coming into your university you're protecting your job which like sure if we want to talk about the church as a business sure but the church is not a business it is an institution that's supposed to be serving the greater good of the world amen (laughs) yeah for sure it's it's been a like i said there's so many different layers to this institution and it and it's interesting because i feel like I, i I always say uh, Spring Arbor University has undoubtedly made me a better and a stronger Christian just in none of the ways it meant to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and it's it's been a place that has uh, prepared me for ministry once again in a way that it did not intend. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Um, and definitely a place that I believe has uh, prepared me academically for, you know, for graduate school. And like I said, I've, I've built so many beautiful relationships there and uh, with professors and students but overall the institution it feels like a place that has been actively working against my success you know and it's it's hard for me to I don't know going forward and stepping out of that environment and suddenly being like I like I've been in an environment for three and a half years that like romantic relationships were against the rules for me and you know like Mm. suppressing that like not even and suppressing that not because I personally believe that it's sinful you know I'm very much affirming and uh, proud of my own identity but suppressing that just like logistically for the sake of not risking my education you know yeah and suddenly being like I have no idea what I'm doing (laughs) oh like in like the dating world and whatnot yeah yeah for sure yeah um, it can be weird oh yeah <laughs> are you experiencing what many call the second adolescence see i i think this is number three for me <laughs> work yes <laughs> I, I already uh i already did number two my junior year when i came out and i uh, yeah junior year was stupid i was stupid <laughs> <laughs> weren't we 
all go? Didn't we all oh, go on like on a thousand dates with like a thousand of the wrong people? We all have a junior year, right? Yeah. Yeah, we all. Um, have a <laughs> uh, but yeah, now I'm like getting ready to move to a new city and uh, live on my own, and I'm like, oh it's boy, it's gonna be Atlanta, Georgia, gonna... <laughs> right? It's gonna be Atlanta, Georgia. Maybe I'm visiting soon. I know. I is it hang out? Is it this Sunday? Uh, next Sunday. Work. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, cause this, this, okay, I'll be back by the afternoon. Hopefully I'm actually might be cool. going to Y Christian. Oh, nice. my, my friend, uh, my, my, well, you know, Matthias, Matthias might yeah. have an extra ticket for me. Oh, cool. What day, when is that? Like, uh, a week from today. So nice. I yeah. wanted to go to that so bad. Yeah. I wanted to go yeah. and it sold out slash monies with, yeah. you know, getting ready for my own schooling and education. Yeah. I feel um, <laughs> you know, something that I like resonated really deep with me like you said at the very top of the the podcast was realizing my call to ministry was in some ways scarier than coming out. Yeah. <laughs> and I completely agree with that statement because I felt like even since I was a little um, like a child, like I knew kind of somewhere in my gut, like when I saw my uncle on the pulpit mm-hmm. that I'm supposed to be up there. And not knowing what that was going to look like and feeling disqualified for the majority of my life. And then, like, coming to, like, the far end of everything and, um, you know, it's I'm not one to, like, make a theodicy out of every little bitty thing. Because, like, I think that's annoying when people do that. But it's amazing how when I have finally chosen to pursue my theological education and to be trained up in, like, a sound environment as a pastor and get my MDiv how many doors have started to open wide. I'm talking finances. I'm talking like uh, living situations. Like everything just has kind of started to fall into place in a way that I didn't think was possible to be orchestrated in that manner. Yeah, Um, for sure. But it's, it's scary because like when you say that I feel like I'm called to be a pastor or I feel like I'm called to minister in some sort of capacity to the world, as a queer person, it's like, I don't know. I still have, I don't know if you experienced this, but I still have like all these things are just like, is it really me? Is it really yeah. supposed to be me? Do you ever, do you ever feel like mild imposter syndrome? Or... Oh, for sure. <laughs> Every day. Um, I think for me, because this is just my personality, I, I sometimes, I have to check myself and make sure that I am not doing things um as a big screw you to people who say i can't <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> you know what i mean i do um, for sure <laughs> which is like the majority of the reason i do certain things i'm just like oh you say that i can't honey watch me yeah yeah uh, <laughs> and so um for a while as i was kind of uh experiencing this call to ministry i was like is this an actual calling or is this me uh saying like Oh, you say I can be a Christian? Well, screw you. I'm going to be extra stay Christian. Christian. I'm going <laughs> yeah. um, the best and... goddamn Christian you've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mom, Love if you're it. listening. I said goddamn and Christian in the same, in the same breath. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> um, but for me, the, I, had this, I had this moment, uh, and I hope the professor who did this is listening because, uh, yeah. Yeah, me too, especially. To No, it's a good thing. (laughs) But uh, um, I had this moment uh, last year where um, one of my professors was putting on a a, just a small like worship service um, in one of the chapels at Spring Arbor, and this is one of the people who has definitely been uh, a very supportive voice and a very important voice in. in keeping me sane at Spring Arbor. Yeah, we um, all need that one professor yeah, there. Yeah, one person. And uh, he invited me to help serve communion at this, mm, at wow. this service. And um, I'm going to cry to tell the story. <laughs> it's but, all good. Uh, Keep going. But having this experience of that invitation from someone who, you know, knew I was gay and wanted me to be part of this service and wanted me to serve communion and just saw me as a spiritually whole and intact person. Um, that experience coupled with the fact that I was serving communion, uh, not only to queer folks who 
some of whom had been rejected by their own churches, but that I was also serving communion to people who might not have been taking communion from me if they knew that I was gay, you know, and this, mm. this, this moment of, yeah, I don't know, how to, I don't know how to explain it. this moment of um, being at the table with, with people who have been so hurt, and with people who, uh, you know, embodied the theology that hurt them, you know, was this really emotional and confusing and hard to swallow thing. Um, but it was also just so beautiful. And I, I just had this moment of, uh, yeah, serving the bread uh, at that service and feeling very much certain that this was something that I was meant to be doing. Um, mm. And that was a very formative moment. And uh, I don't know, just kind of realizing that, yeah, this is <laughs> this is good. Man. Yeah. I think that the life of being a Christian, especially one who is uh radically committed to intersectional justice and who's queer like the fact that like um we have all of these weird things living inside of us all of these paradoxes to be a christian with all of the rest of our identities is very much a paradox because of that very thing you just mentioned of yeah when we say that a table is built for all people we also mean the people who hurt us the most and who are actively hurting us and it's so hard to want to build a table big enough for those people and to clear space so that every voice is heard. Yeah. Um, I find it like, I find it so hard for me to kind of like, um, like I'm always going to be like the kind of person who like wants to try and prize the most vulnerable identities and voices first. Mm -hmm. Um, And it takes like a good part of my, a good chunk of like my, my heart work to remind myself that even the image of God also lives in like these people who fail to see the image of God in me. Yeah. And it just sucks sometimes. It's, <laughs> it's like, so hard. I'm like, God, like this isn't fair. But then I'm, then, then God like whispers to me, it's like, well, that's grace. So what are you going to do? Yes. I, I, don't know, I don't know how the voice of God talks to you, but the voice of God to me talks very sarcastically. Very sassy. Yes. <laughs> very lady. God is so uh. sassy. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I've been I've been struggling a lot with that concept of of grace, or more so with how people use that concept of grace oftentimes as a as a weapon against oppressed groups. Because I I don't know I've seen so many messages um, as we've been uh, the queer Spring Arbor students have very much been uh, we've taken to social media for these campaigns because we realized the meetings we were having with administrators weren't working so we just (laughs) kind of took it online and i've gotten so many messages and seen so many posts from people um kind of i don't know just telling telling queer students that we need to be showing more grace right now and that Uh, we need to mm. yeah and it's like here's the thing grace grace for people grace for individuals who are trying <laughs> and grace for individuals is a good and beautiful thing that we are called to. Um, Jesus did not show any grace for oppressive systems, mm. or, uh, you know, and, uh, and say and it's, it. it's, it's just uh, so many times you see Jesus, you know, showing grace towards, towards people who are living in sin, who are, um, who are trying, you know, who are working towards being better, who are at least asking questions, you know, Jesus shows grace. But when it, when it comes to societal sins, Jesus didn't, didn't have grace for that, you know, and I don't think no, we're he rolled, to either. He rolled into the <laughs> temple and said, this is ex- exploitation, flip the right. tables. Exactly. You know, he and looked, he looked at the group of men who brought the woman who was caught in adultery and said, throw a stone. I dare you. Exactly. And so it's been, it's been hard to, I don't know, read those messages and to, and to, I don't know, I just can't imagine seeing a group of vulnerable people fighting an institution and, and like worrying that the institution's feelings are going to get hurt. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, because like it's, 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 you know, it's that straight fragility, you know, yeah. white cis fragility. We're just like, they're just like, I feel like you're going to like lump me in with those people because like, I love right. you, but like, just like. I'm not one of them. So like, be more graceful. <laughs> yeah. And like, I guess like that's the same, any, any sort of like identity fragility. 
that when you are the thing to remember when uh, marginalized individuals are calling out the bullshit is that if it do- if the critique does not apply to you it does not apply to you yeah and on top of that um if you aren't asking the question of why we're demanding change or justice for ourselves like then you're you're not even like you don't you don't get to talk to me until like you start asking those questions yeah, like i'm sure. i'm kind of i'm I feel like, I don't know, like, if, if this is just, like, the season that I'm in right now, but just, like, I'm not I'm not ready to fuck with people who don't even, like, want to have those things. Because it's the same thing that you just said, like, with the church I just left. Um, I, it was Grace Midtown Church. They adopted a non-affirming policy. Um, and I hear are also making their volunteers and leadership sign a form that says, I am not participating in the homosexual lifestyle. And if I know of other people who are, I'm going to confront them and or tell pastoral leadership. I've signed those. Yep. (laughs) AKA gay witch hunt. Oh gosh. And it's one of these things where it's like, I cannot believe that after it's like the same thing you said, like after three years of having meetings and lunches and providing resources and making myself readily available that all of a sudden out of the blue, you're just going to what you've said to me and what has actually happened are not lining up. Yeah. It's, it's a matter of integrity. And the thing that I hate more than anything is when administrators, leaders, whoever will apologize and continue to do the same thing. I'm just like, your apology is empty because it has zero repentance in it. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't, it's kind of like, uh, um, Alicia Johnston said at TRP in Chicago, like, stop trying to change your shitty theologies. Quit trying to, like, make it work around. You need to be born again. Yeah. She was so good. Uh, Alicia, <laughs> so if you're listening to this, also, I need to get you on the podcast. So, like, Big call fan. me, girl. That's how I get all my podcast listeners now. Is like, <laughs> yeah, that in, seems true. Call them out on the air. <laughs> Oh my god. Um switching gears ever so slightly because yeah. I actually would love to pick your brain a little bit about like um presentation maybe mm-hmm. just like and yeah. so as somebody myself um well may I ask really quick like, like gender wise you identify as cis lady? Yeah. Yeah. Um but you are kind of like a masculine of center presentation, would you say that? Yeah, for sure. I yeah. Very much enjoy the androgynous gender presentation. I don't know. I uh, I like I like screwing around with gender a little bit. I like Im- ambiguity, you know. Yeah, and <laughs> um, it, you wear it well, as RuPaul said. <laughs> um, has it been um, like how like how did you come to a space of like feeling like more at home with like your style and your presentation, um. Because I am currently, like, in the process of, like, exploring what it would be like to be a little bit more femme in my presentation. Yeah. Ooh, that's a fun question. Let me think. And how has your style evolved, maybe? Ooh, to, to okay. Fit, this like, is fun. To fit, like, um, and really encompass how you feel on the inside. Yeah. All right. Let me think where to start here. So, yeah, I always, uh, <laughs> I always joke that, um it's completely absurd that I even had to come out because I could not pass for straight. <laughs> Grass is green, sky is <laughs> blue. To, right? um, I think my uh, coming out conversation with one of my friends started with, I cannot believe I have to say this. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's funny. But yeah, it's a, uh, and it's, I have a really, I don't know, complicated, I don't know, relationship with with uh i think my there are differences between gender presentation performance and identity you know and i and it's interesting because i feel very comfortable in all three of those but i they don't align in ways that people expect them to right Mm -hmm. so i think when um and even within the lgbt community when someone sees a woman with you know, short hair who wears lots of button-ups or denim or leather jackets, whatever, there's a certain set of assumptions about how that person is going to act and behave and their role in a relationship, all that stuff. Mm. It's really interesting because I, even though I, my gender presentation is very much a masculine of center, um, 
gender presentation. I I do not perform masculinity in any other way. Right? Like I, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I don't know. I always I always joke that I uh, I I have a lot of the uh, flamboyant mannerisms of a gay man, <laughs> and all the denim jackets of a very butch lesbian. <laughs> uh, same. Uh, same, yeah, same, same. But neither of those really work for me. Like neither of those are true. Um and so it's just it's this interesting thing of um being so comfortable with how I look and so happy with how I look and how I present myself and how I carry myself in the world, but also being very aware that I other people see it and perceive me in completely incorrect ways. Um mm. and make completely incorrect assumptions about my personality and about who I am. Um, and so like coming to terms with that is an interesting thing. Um, take all of that and then add the fact that being really obviously queer on a conservative Christian campus and in a small town, uh, birthplace of the Republican party, that's my hometown. Wowzers. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, holding all those things in tension is a really, um, a really interesting thing, uh, I don't know, but it allows me to kind of fuck around with gender in some fun and creative ways. Like, like I don't know, I, I put on nail polish and it somehow makes me look gayer. I don't know how that works. <laughs> well, because like you know, people perceive you to yeah. be a gay man. You put that exactly. nail polish, yeah. like, oh my god, is that, is that a gay guy? Oh my god. And so I, I just like I, I confuse people and it's fun and I, I'm having a good time doing it. But <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it, I think it's interesting, and I, and like I wonder about. I guess this is just like me talking out loud and maybe mm-hmm. processing a little bit, which yeah. is always fun to process unprocessed thoughts on the air. Um, Gotta love it. <laughs> yeah. So I've been kind of like working through like what gender, like what my gender identity is. Cause like uh, it actually kind of like hit me yesterday, like on national international women's day. Um, I was there, I was like, you know, tweeting the things and like, you know, I love, I, I, I often ever mark to like my therapist that the place I feel most comfortable is like in a group of queer, queer women or queer, mm-hmm. like female bodied individuals. Um, Cause like being in a group of like exclusively just like gay cis men weirds me out. And like, I don't feel at home there. Um, and like, there are certain things I've wanted to do with my presentation Um that are like a little bit because like I can't like you know as someone who like the way my body is shaped I don't think I could pull off an androgynous look very well Mm -hmm. just because like you know I'm just I'm a thick I'm a thick girl (laughs) um and but it's like this like weird I I felt like a very much like an in-between like some Mm -hmm. days it feels one way other days it feels like I'm pulled another way um and I and I think it's interesting like if like a female-bodied individual takes on more masculine traits or like presents in a more masculine way like it typically is like not as threatening as if like or or, like weird as if like a male-bodied individual like if I decide to like put on a face of makeup wear lip color and do my nails like that for some in some environments in many environments especially in the south I'm going to get stares I'm going to get looked at I might not be safe depending on what I want to where I am and what I want to do I often think about that in like regards to my job as well as like, cause I rely on tips, you know, to, yeah. for my day job. And so if I'm at work, like, and I am, you know, gussied up or whatnot, I've never used the term gussied up before. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I just wonder, like, even if I feel at home in my body or in my presentation, like, what is that going to do for like my, like my livelihood and survival? Yeah. It's weird. And I often find myself like sometimes a bit jealous of uh, like androgynous female-bodied individuals because like there's like a little bit of that like in-betweenness that I I can't really I can't make my body look any different than it is. Yeah. So I don't know. It's um it's beautiful and interesting and it's something I'm trying to explore and like wonder about for like the next stage of my life. Like what is it? Who who am I becoming, Barbara? <laughs> yeah. Right, right. I had an interesting conversation um, with someone. Well, I don't know, just thinking about the concept of of being visibly queer or yeah. you know, being able to pass. And I had this conversation a while ago with someone, um, with a family member. I was talking about 
like I was headed to Chicago or some bigger city. And they're like, you know, be careful. You know, like, those yeah. cities are dangerous. You know, be careful. And I, at this moment, I was like, yeah, that's fair. But also, I, <laughs> I realized how much safer I feel in those cities compared to, like, over the summer, I lived in this small farming town in Michigan. Like, I was like, I feel so much safer walking down the street in Chicago than I do, like, going to the grocery store in Hillsdale, Michigan, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting the way that presentation, the way that, I don't know, queerness is seen and read by non-queer people, how much that impacts just small daily decisions, like, you know, whether or not you're going to use the public bathroom or wait until you get home, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And it's and what sucks is like I was like I don't want to make these decisions, like I I would really just like to do what I feel and then like move on with my day. For sure, it's interesting. Uh, injustice. <laughs> um, how how does it feel though? Like really, like real talk though. What does it feel like to be a style icon? <laughs> Oh for gosh. for gay Christian world, like, what does it feel to be <laughs> is like? Is that a thing? Is that... <laughs> oh my God, Caitlyn J. Style, you don't know that your fashion goals for so many people, including yours truly, like oh, I said, like you like you put like these OOTDs up on Instagram. I'm just like, yes. <laughs> High school Caitlyn would be shook. <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, I cannot cannot tell you the best thing that's ever happened to my wardrobe is. Uh, stop is, is no longer caring about looking too gay you know <laughs> like, yeah truly because like i said like i've never been able to pass right even when i had long hair and i like thought i was straight like i i've got a gay face you know oh like, my I'm... gosh gay <laughs> i said gay face okay like r- real insane. talk when i was in sixth grade like that's when people started calling me a faggot it was in sixth grade and i think it's because of gay face <laughs> yeah it's a thing totally um, and so like <laughs> for, for so long i was so scared of wearing anything that would make me look even gayer than I already did you know mm-hmm. and my gosh coming out I fashion's like one of my favorite things now and that's been so fun to be able to finally feel comfortable exploring and mm-hmm. it, it's great I love it for other for other queer humans out there who may be <laughs> afraid to like jump into their own fashion experience what would you say to that human my gosh what encouragement wearing... would you give them <laughs> Wearing something that makes you feel confident is the best thing in the world. And I don't know. That's, I don't know. That's all I got. <laughs> there it um, is. There it is. Um, being that we are coming to like the close of the hour, um, I've enjoyed our conversation. So, so good. <laughs> it was lovely. Um, I like you very much. Um, and I think that you should move to Atlanta. Maybe. <laughs> nope. I'm just like, here's the deal. I'm here to, I'm here to, my name is Harvey Milk and I'm here to recruit you. <laughs> like, here's the deal. Should I, should I create a, a PowerPoint? Milk what if I make you a PowerPoint presentation and present it to you in Chicago? <laughs> I am, I will, I will hear you out. <laughs> okay. Me, yeah. me and, uh, me, Markham and, um, and Rachel Ward and Darcy Jarrett will we'll have a, like a joint presentation. It'll be like one All thing right. in your schedule, but for nobody else. <laughs> Just my schedule. <laughs> That was my conversation with my friend Caitlin J. Stout. You can contact and be in touch with Caitlin on all of the, the regular platforms like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Caitlin J. Stout, where honestly, she might be the funniest person on the internet. Um, and also follow her on the Instagrams for like, you know, queer Christian style goals because she is flawless, to be honest. And you can also read some of her writing at CaitlinJStout.com. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for helping make this program possible. If you haven't already, check out Patreon and the cool things that we're doing over there. Um, we've been ramping up some new new programs coming up. I'm, I'm redoing the, the devotionals for a while because I've fallen behind and I need to figure out a better way to do that. So if you're one of my subscribers for the, the daily devotional, my apologies for, for falling behind on that. It's just been uh, a radically crazy month for me. So thank you for your patience on that. 
But uh, big thanks to all my Patreon supporters. And if you loved this conversation, if you thought this conversation was something that was revolutionary for you, or you think that it could help contribute to a better narrative for LGBTQ Christians and just a better conversation in the church, go to patreon.com. Throw me a dollar a month, five dollars a month, ten dollars a month, something, because uh, this work is really starting to reach people. I've been getting a lot more messages in my inbox and from multiple different um, social media venues and avenues um, from people who are finally getting in touch with the truth that they are truly beloved by God. And that's a, that's an incredible feeling. It's why I do what I do, and I want this to reach more people, which means we can make more content. And if we have more support, we have more things to do on our end. Plus, going into seminary this summer, um, I would really just like to just do uh, creating content while I'm in school, rather than struggling to work a job, create content, and be a grad student at the same time. So, if you wouldn't mind, go over to Patreon.com/slash/TheKevinGarcia and learn how you can be a supporting partner today. Again, that's Patreon.com/slash/TheKevinGarcia. And if for some reason you don't have extra cash that you can throw on, which I get it, I know the kind of season that you might be in, you can always help support the show by rating it on iTunes. Simply go over to your podcast app, and when you're looking at A Tiny Revolution, just click the five stars and leave a little review and then share it with your friends, because honestly, it gets the show in front of other people. Oh, by the way, check out my friend Corey Pig's new podcast. It's called Failed Missionary. Um, he and I are going to be collaborating um, in a few months on an episode of that, and I'm so stoked about it. So go ahead and check out Failed Missionary on iTunes as well. And I think that's everything for me. And, uh, yeah, drop me a line over at thekevingarcia.com. Subscribe to the blog so you don't ever miss a beat of what's going on. So thank you once again for listening to A Tiny Revolution. Go see your therapist. Take a walk outside. Do some yoga if that's your thing. Honestly, hot yoga has been changing my life. Make some art. Eat something delicious. And um, talk to somebody you really enjoy. Have someone buy you a coffee or a drink or something. You deserve it, honey. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Again, I'm Kevin Garcia. This has been A Tiny Revolution, and I'll talk to you soon. Mwah!